Hello, my name is Matt Sesho and welcome to episode three of the EdTech People podcast. On tonight's uh, podcast, we are joined by Andrew Walls, Assistant Principal at the Sydney Stringer Multi-Academy Trust, where he's in charge of ICT and new technologies. Um, we've got some great insights on security for schools, got a bit of geek talk in there as well. But ultimately, we're focusing on the importance of good quality support and relationships between that support and leadership and those in the classroom. Hope you enjoy it as ever. Feedback is welcomed. And if you'd like to come on to the podcast, please just drop me a message on Twitter or on email. Um, you can email me at matt at mattian.co.uk. You can follow me on Twitter uh, at msetchel or you can DM me on LinkedIn. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to episode three of EdTech People. Uh, this is your host, Matt Setchell. I'm joined tonight by Andrew Walls, um, who is working as the assistant principal for the IT at Sydney Stringer Multi Academy um, in Coventry. Um, Andrew and I have been on Twitter for a while, um, and it's really good to have a fellow techie um, and, te- and a teacher, of course, up on the podcast this evening. So, Andrew, thanks for joining me. No problem. Thanks for having me, Matt. No problem. So um, we've uh, we're both heavily involved in IT and education. Um, do you want to just talk me through your role a little bit and and some of the stuff that you've been up to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll keep it uh, short and sweet. I direct IT across uh, a small map. We're uh, we're five schools, soon to be six. Uh, we currently have seven sites. Uh, we are very heavily and have been for many years into Google Workspace back when it was Google Apps for Education and. Uh, Google Suite for education and Google Workspace. So we've used that as, as one of our kind of primary platforms. Uh, we're a single big one. So we operate uh, a wide area network between all of our sites with a single internet breakout. And a lot of my role day to day is looking at primarily what's the right strategic direction to take IT in, uh, to, to hit organizational goals, to enhance teaching and learning and, and to make sure that it's a, you know, it's a good experience for everybody. Yeah, so um, very familiar territory then from from where I've been before. Um, so I think we're going to have a lot to talk about. Um, let's let's dive straight in and talk about strategy. Let's talk about um, you know where our schools and the schools that we worked with perhaps been and and perhaps where they're going as well. Because I think over the last couple of years we've really seen, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, about the change that is happening. But there's still a lot of schools that don't know the right way to go, don't know the right tech to take, uh, you know, have these choices. And you mentioned your your Google, you know, I'm, I'm Microsoft. Um, it's good that we can still get along and talk um, from, from that. But, um, you know, these schools, um, and a lot of them don't know what, what to do next. What is your advice to a school at the moment who perhaps isn't even on the um, cloud journey? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because you do go into a school and it's a lucky dip. You know, certain things you you see as fairly standard in schools. And I'm generalising a bit, but you'd walk in and you'd see a classroom. You know, you'd expect kind of like, you know, quality teaching. You'd expect to see certain ways of doing things. And IT is always a bit of a lucky dip. You can walk into some schools that are so 
techy and progressive and you know are even experimenting with things like artificial intelligence in the classroom now and, and things which are, which are really quite cool and you can walk into other places where it's you know it's an unpatched windows domain that's sat there since you know 2006 and is vulnerable to every exploit under the sun and is is a dreadful mess and is just basically counting down the days until ransomware hits or or we'll happily tolerate you know a week of a week of no internet with no clear reason as, as to why so it's different isn't it i think but my response probably gonna be a little bit a little bit dull i think the csip qualifications are really really good one and they always say when you're looking at it i know it's a very security driven qualification but if you're looking at it in that in that kind of domain one first lesson of it it's like it should align itself with the business and organizational goals. It should sit there as something which drives towards whatever the organization is trying to do. And it should be agile. It should try to match that. And, you know, within that, there might be, you know, things that, that you know, can hold things back. You know, uh, you know, might be some security ops that say, hang on, turn around. We need to have a think about how to risk manage this properly and do things like that. But ultimately, it needs to understand what the organization is trying to achieve and then present a strategy that aligns with that, which might be a little bit left field. It might be quite expected. It might not be what people's thinking. And I think the difference is, is recruitment. I think that's the biggest thing. That's been the biggest determining factor in schools that I've talked with. There are schools that don't think, that think, do you know what? It's worth appointing somebody to direct this on a senior grade. It's worth having them backed up with a well-paid and well-experienced team of people who understand networks and understand what things should be like at a high standard. They should be care to retain the best networking staff, the best uh, software, even to some extent, sometimes I've even seen software engineering staff employed by trusts that said, you know what, our developers, our media teams, we should, we should develop and nurture them. And we should always involve them in whatever organizational strategy and things that we're doing. And then you get some places that just see it as a bit of a, a bolt on where you can, you can pay someone, you know, nineteen to thirty k to run a massive project that wouldn't wouldn't you know salary that wouldn't tally with industry, and I'm not saying that's that's a bad thing, but you're not going to recruit people for the long term with a strategic vision if that's how you I'm saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying it's a bad thing. I'll jump in there and say it's a bad <laughs> thing. I haven't been in that position, and I think it's, that's a really important um, uh, message across to those who aren't that technical. Uh, about actually what the systems are that schools are running you know they're unique you you don't walk into many businesses and see the scale um, and the uh, differentiation in technology that's used especially now we're going into multi-academies with multiple different phases in them and you know you have to differentiate between all different kinds of learners and teachers um, and, and different levels of ability from the people in, in, in the children in, in those early years who can't type their name, um, but they're quite capable of swiping and then accessing um, what, what they need to know, but they, they can't spell their name. Um, right through to those six formers that are coming to the end of their studies and looking to forward to go to university and are having to use the more advanced tool set that's available to them um, as, a, as a learning and, and whatever they're doing. And then you're looking at enterprise Wi-Fi. Um, you're looking at the unique uh, area around safeguarding. Um, and, and you mentioned earlier on about stability as well um, and how um, it's so important that um, the uptime is, you know, always it's always there. 
uh, and it's, that's getting even more so now with the fact that we're enabling people to work anywhere, anytime, any device. And, you know, you, you've got these people who are on um, less than £20,000 a year um, managing a school, maybe three, four hundred students and, uh, you know, a few, few um, maybe 50, 60 staff or something like that. But what they're being asked to deliver um, and with, with the type of budget that they're able to deliver in it, it in, it's no wonder that there's currently a recruitment crisis in, in, in IT. It's no wonder that people aren't coming in straight into the industry. You know, we're seeing the majority of people coming in now through the um, apprenticeship route. And I think that, that has its benefits. But, you know, these schools that are appointing these people want instantaneous results. And normally um, the schools, when people come in, uh, and if they do need some scratch, they are having to... Um, come in and rescue a school and do years of work to get them to where they need to be because they've fallen so far behind. So I think, you know, it, it's very interesting point that you make there around um, the differentiation in schools, the, the, the types and their approach to it. And we were talking just before we came on to the podcast about our days and we're talking about, you know, you've got a five, six school multi-academy um, and uh, working for an MSP like I do. And I was saying, oh, well, you, you said, what have you been up to today? And I was like, oh, I think, you know, I had a couple of servers to do. At one point today, I was actually talking to deputy head through how to um uh, do all kinds of things on the server to try and get access back on there um, for them to do it. And um, but you know we've we've got those different places, but it's still very much a common theme between both of our, our environments that we're being asked to do a lot with not very much, and that's only going up. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I'm I, I, I'm at a point where thankfully I'm I'm the third person to to carry out this role, so there's the historical legacy. And I can say definitely that we are we are well funded and, and supported, and Good. and and I think that is that is a rarity if I'm honest yeah. talking to the schools. But I think it, it also it also comes down to I think we've we've proven our worth in terms of de deving stuff. So if you know if instead of I mean having a a, a well maintained IT team with lots of people in who can take over and know each part of systems and, and know how everything works means you can start to do more custom things and even save yeah. save money so you think about how much schools that aren't very techy waste buying duplicate platforms that's that's another thing that drives me mad particularly when when you when you when because we work quite closely with a lot of a lot of neighboring schools and and schools up and down the country we have and you'll sometimes see they have like three or four homework packages whereas yeah. if you're quite a techie school with a techie team that keeps themselves up to date and does all the latest certifications and stuff then you know right well we can sync google classroom or microsoft teams with your mis and you've got a homework setting system which is actually probably one of the best supported ones you can have it just needs that little bit of expertise to get it to get like to get things going and to train staff but once you've got it it's a nice environment and, and people can be accustomed to it and that's the sort of thing which which makes it clear why you need the IT there is the strategy because yeah. often I probably quite rightly that I think it's the right thing to do it probably killed more systems than I've put in yeah. uh, over time <laughs> uh, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because some of the systems no, no. Aren't, aren't used are they you know you you're seeing this where you, you've got like you know oh we've got this that manages behaviour and we've got this which manages homework and we've got this that manages this and then you, you, suddenly you you thrown 30 40 50 grand against the wall which well, could have been spent is, on seven yeah absolutely this is uh i talked with beth last night from arva um and uh 
uh, I say last night, if you're listening to this later on, is podcast number two, um, <laughs> talking with Beth about it and was talking about how these uh, MIS systems, these new cloud MIS systems are uh, bringing so many tools into one package. And then we look at, you know, your Google Workspace and your Office 365, and you can see the m range of tools that they've got in there. So, but, you know, with my expertise around Microsoft, I'll use that as an example, but where you used to have, you know, drag and dictate, or you used to have read aloud, and you've now got that built in, you know, you've got the immersive reader built in. Um, and, you know, I know you can do similar stuff in Google as well. You used to have all those packages and all those licenses, and actually you get rid of them all, um, even with the latest Microsoft stuff, with the A5 licenses, with the security stuff in there, you know, we, we don't need to procure separate um, security products for them because it's all in there. So there's no more antivirus licenses or anything like that. That's all built in there. You know, and with Chromebooks, you go one step further, there's no need to procure anything. It's all packaged into the single license. And, you know, we've just made a really good point where you said, it actually, one of the good things is rationalise, and a good IT team will rationalise what a school uses and make sure that what they use, they use it well. Do, would you agree, if I, I'm going to put you on the spot here, though, is that that's, that's a hard task because there are so many people who try to get involved and they either want to just lead it because they don't trust their IT team or they've they've been uh, seen a man in a silver suit with a golden briefcase who's come to sell them the world. Um, normally, normally, I hate to say this, uh, leadership, uh, normally deputy heads who want to go somewhere are in are in that field of, you know, um, being brought uh, something and, and seeing how it can transform, but see it in isolation. So, you know, and, and that's 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 where having those IT people that can come in and link things up. And I'm talking about single sign on. So one username, one password. I'm talking about, you know, systems where um, the, you, the data flows conveniently between them. Um, you know, they're, they're really, really important. And you can, as you said, you can only do that with a great IT team. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you need you need the strategy behind everything. I often think it flows from there. And it's very easy because you you will find in organisations everybody has a has a vested interest or wants something or sees something. And I'd never say the IT team should be, should be a blocker, like never. Even no. though like my my experience in security is like essentially unless your idea is absolutely mad and probably going to get us ransomware, like it's worth listening to. It's probably worth a discussion on. And then seeing does that align with with the strategy? Because the strategy aligns with the business goal. So if someone wants to put Absolutely. something in it's it's that, that's dead easy so you know if somebody wants to come along and launch nine times out of ten it, it might be like we want to launch this literacy program but so many things now are just web apps and our infrastructure just becomes the web and whatever whatever route whatever platforms you use it's just chop and choosing a different uh different websites and so that makes it a lot easier that you don't have to shut things down but sometimes you do have to ask the right questions and ask that critical question like, why are we putting this in when we already have this? Why are we doing this when this is in place? Have we actually given enough training to this to give it a shot? Or have we launched it, not trained people properly and looked at it? And what are the plans? And we, we have very strict procedures when stuff comes in. How much mm. training is going to be uh, assigned to it? If the answer is zero, it's probably not worth doing. Because yeah. you, if it was worth it, you put the time in for training. We would turn around and say, well, what is, what's it trying to achieve? What's the goal of it? And I think 
those kind of questions do avoid those kind of shiny suited salesmen who will come and yeah. sell you the world and will tell you everything. But yeah, I mean, the point you make about A5 licensing, I think, I think is a brilliant one. But even even without that, you know, Windows Defender is 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 a free product. If you invest mm-hmm. heavily in the Microsoft infrastructure, you've essentially got an AV there that that performs quite comparably with commercial AVs. And sometimes oh. when you when you go into places, they're spending a fortune on their AV licensing, and they say, oh, we don't have the money to buy you know a, a video platform for the students to, or or this thing to support the revision it's like well yeah i mean have you considered just using defender i mean i mean nine times out of ten it's going to do the job for you turning off this av subscription that you're in you're tied into for you know you renew in every year spend the money tactically where it is and actually having that overview of the budget where do you want to spend it where are our priorities and actually, what can we get away with? What what do we invest in and go from there? But, you know, if you invest in the A5 licensing, you're not having to buy, like, authentication systems like Duo to provide multi-factor. You know, you've got it built in straight in in that A5 licensing into everything. So there's lots of, um, and, you know, geo, geo restrictions. There'll be lots of people who come with a shiny product saying, you should stop anybody being able to log in from keep it topical Russia or, or somewhere like that. And, and it's like, well, actually, A5 licensing gives you that out of the box, right? So yeah. it's it's... Yeah, it's it's being tactical with it, but yeah, you've got to rely on the expertise. And I do, I feel sorry for these schools that are in that position because it's not like they're doing it out of any malice or anything. They genuinely are probably making these decisions, thinking they're doing the right thing, and they will. They are thinking it's the right thing to do, but they just don't have someone with expertise there. Let's just let's just take that point actually, because I think this is really important. And like most of this podcast, well, everything in this podcast is obviously my personal view and, and those of, of those I'm talking to. One of the things, you know, you're studying at the moment for an MA in cyber security. Um, so I'm interested to hear your view on this. Lots of people don't do things in IT because they've heard rumors that it's against safeguarding. And you hear straight away the amount of tech that's been stopped because people are scared of what it does. Uh, don't fully understand it and they've heard of mate say and they probably listen or a colleague say sorry say a colleague at another school said oh we don't do that we don't do this we don't do that and with no understanding they take the same hard line because safeguarding is serious safeguarding is what you know the the starting of of of, of everything that we we do in schools and looking after the people that we have in there both the students but of course the staff in our roles as well and they'll look at it and they'll go well, we can't let people talk to each other. We can't, you know, there's a camera on that. We can't use that device. Or we can't use this online tool. And, uh, and you know, so they do that from a, a safeguarding and sort of stuff. They don't do that from a security side. So they'll, they'll jump straight in and they won't even think of putting all their data into a system. They won't even think about how can they align the logins to a single system. They won't even think about the security side of things because that's not where their expertise is. But the safeguarding thing is where their expertise is most of the time. Although I always find working with the actual DSL is a lot more fruitful for, than other people who just think they might know about safeguarding, because uh, nine times out of 10, uh, you know, the, when it comes to safeguarding, actually, I do want to see the students when I'm talking to them over Teams, when they're at home for a long period of time and we haven't seen them. You know, they, we had schools wanting to turn off cameras and I was like, so what happens if you can't see that kid and something's happened to them? Uh, you know, actually cameras are sensible. And I'm like, well, what happens if you see stuff in the background where you've got the blurred background or you just send a message out to people saying, be aware that obviously it's being broadcast to the rest of the class and, and they can see that stuff in there. 
But the biggest overall thing is actually safeguarding and you need to see that kid's face um, to, to make sure that they're, they're alive and well in some cases. So it's it's one of my big bugbears. And I'm just wondering your view on it um, around that safeguarding element, people being scared to do stuff because of it, but also that that not carrying through in terms of cyber security. And I guess as a follow up question for that is, what do you think are the biggest risks at the moment from your cybersecurity work? Yeah, that's interesting. Quite quite big questions there. Uh, I, I think the safeguarding one's an excellent point. People, when you look at safeguarding and cybersecurity, tying the two together, the, the central element is risk mitigation and risk analysis. And unless you actually sit back and think deeply, what is the risk benefit reward of doing this action? What is the risk benefit reward of carrying out this cybersecurity action or safeguarding action? then you're not going to make the right and informed decision. So the point about cameras is is a brilliant one because we had lots of people saying, oh, you know, we shouldn't allow teachers to, you know, record uh, these sessions yeah, and things yeah, like yeah. that, you know, because it could be a data protection risk. And it's like, well, actually, you know, study GDPR. <clears throat> it's all a mitigation document. It's all about, right, there's certain things and, and you know, international equivalents as well, not just GDPR. This has, this has a lot of resonance to any, any data protection internationally. It's all about risk analysis and can you justify what you're doing and are you infringing anybody's personal privacy? And actually, if you're having a conversation and you want to record it because you'll then refer back to it in a safeguarding context or to support something because you want to recap on some themes of it later down or just so there's a record that proves that it's safe and you can justify that and you're not infringing anyone's privacy, then you're completely, completely within the rules. And, and I mean, let's be honest here, you know, what a fantastic revision tool you know, if you, if you said a few years ago to staff, like, you can do this lesson once and then your kids can access it at any time to get the information out from a teacher and learning and a recall and, you know, a um, uh, revision side of things, certainly in secondary, they would have paid thousands of pounds for something that would record those lessons and upload them to a place where everybody can see them. And then you, you put that technology into their hands and all of a sudden, it's, oh, they can't see me, or we can't see them. <laughs> and I'd, it, it, I'd like to say it surprised me. I don't think it did surprise me, but it, it still gets me when people talk about the chat in Teams, you know, and they're like, oh, the kids um, have, have been using a pick to pick this up. And then they turn and said, they can't, somebody said to me the other day, they can't use this at home, can they? I'm like, of course they can. That's, that's the whole point of cloud. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah that that doesn't surprise me. But it's that it's 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 different for us, isn't it? Because we cognitively we think very technically. So yeah. when we're thinking of a solution or something that's implemented, I think we make a lot more connections and understand the platform so in depth, and and we've probably read about the ramifications and things like that. And I think in our roles, we need to sometimes definitely keep at the forefront of our minds that, that other people won't be as well read and as Absolutely. well informed. Like if it was a topic that I wasn't like an absolute in that has something to do with school like there's probably things that I say about curriculum development and uh, things that I say about uh, behavior policy that somebody probably knows 50 times as much about because they've read everything under the sun and have gone out explicitly to other places to look at that and I think yeah sometimes we, we, we do need that that kind of this is my specialism and this is it yeah. and, and, and to take that view on board and it's our role to challenge it and I think what, what's always interesting is is people will 
receive that. Uh, a classic one I always had with an argument was, you know, when it was what what should we allow, you know, people to record things and take pictures and and should personal devices be used to record and take pictures? And and ultimately my my argument was well it doesn't matter what device and camera is being used, you're saving it to a cloud platform. Ultimately that that picture or video is going to end up, you know, in Google Drive directly. Whatever the medium is that it transfers there, who cares? It's about is that picture safe? Is that picture Secure. The, the, the other question, the third question you asked about cybersecurity, that was really interesting. Do people does it go, go out the window? Because I do find that's the one that needs the constant reminder. Uh, and sometimes you do need to, to ask people about this. And it can be anyone in the organization will find a product that's free and say, should we use it and, and look at it? Well, you know, you, we did huge impact input on GDPR. I'd say almost like half a year input on GDPR. Yeah. You still need to remind people, and and I think that's the same in any organisation. Like, have you risk assessed this? And and the usual message we have is not always this doesn't universally apply. But if it's free, how are this how is this company making the money? Read the terms and conditions quite carefully at that point. You know, if somebody's saying I want to launch a platform where you can sign up for and get advice and academic services and things like that. Why are they offering it for free? Like, what are they getting from it? And I think you've got to maintain a degree of healthy scepticism, but a little bit of people trying to follow GDPR procedures together. Yeah. I think you can kind of work around that a little bit. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because GDPR has come, came, yeah, well, it's three or four years ago now, I think, actually. I can't, can't quite remember when it came. That, I tried to obliterate it from my memory from having to sit through so many meetings talking about stuff that for me on the whole was common sense um but lots of people confuse that with uh data security and uh and, and cyber security and they're like oh i'm i'm do, doing this but i'm not doing that now the two are closely linked absolutely closely linked but they're not the same you know and i think um there's i've had schools in the last in the last few weeks um and and certainly over the last few years that have got hacked and it's a regular occurrence so for those people who, who are lucky enough not to have had this uh, yet, you know, the, the key risk for schools is that it's through phishing. And that's when people are trying to get their username and password through whatever means that they can. And then what they'll do is they will try to um, use that account to access your data and encrypt it or, you know, uh, financial transactions. And um, I was reading the end, I was refreshing over the NCS NCSCS or whatever, National Cybersecurity Centre work the other day and I was reading um, reading through that and it was saying actually schools are easy targets and that goes back to what we were talking about earlier on in the podcast about having the staff that are qualified to understand the risk, the mitigations and everything else but I think it also joins in what we are just talking about is we need to make sure that we make that as easy for schools to understand as possible. And we have to understand with those staff the um, the ways that we can implement these things without stopping teachers teach and students learning. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the the reason a lot of these schools get hacked and, and it's interesting, I haven't like, really studied this in, in, in quite a lot of depth now, is it's the expertise of staff, but it's also the expertise of, of IT staff. And there's things that mm. I've learned uh, in terms of how you actually get into systems and do things, which 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 I probably had a quite superficial knowledge for before actually really studying it. So, two like two of the main issues with why schools get done is yes, it's phishing, 
its credential reuse by members of staff. The fact that these things are on raidforums.com and are uploaded regularly, you know, you can get passwords and credentials from essentially free database dumps on dodgy websites like that that don't even exist on the dark web. You know, they are there in broad daylight for us to access. Yeah. But also fundamental issues with Microsoft security design in, in terms of Windows and, and domain architecture. Uh, there's some fundamental stuff going back years that hasn't been addressed. So, so by default, if you run a Windows network, um, and we do, you know, we, we, we're heavy Chromebook school, but, you know, we have a heck of a lot of Windows devices and a very actively used Windows domain is things like broadcast protocols. So LMNR, uh, NBTNS, if, if uh, are enabled by default in, in Windows, if a device can't find a server that it's looking for, that's that's pro it's programmed into because of some group policy someone hasn't updated for years or a printer that hasn't been, you know, Windows has a very particular way of doing it. It does the standard thing of going to DNS. So it looks up, do, do you have anything on the local DNS to find it? Uh, as the DHCP server got a clue where this thing is, and if it can't find it, it will broadcast the entire subnet saying, are you there? Uh, does that device exist? Now, the, the great thing is, is that that makes sense. You know, it's a way to find a resource, but as long as any server responds with, yes, that's me, yeah, you you can get a connection straight away. And this is on by default. And you, you, you'll find this on in about 99% of, of institutions you go to, those two settings are on. And just booting up a simple program that responds, yes, you can then send a command saying, all right, Here's a challenge. Send me your hashed NTLM2 uh, v2 uh, password hash, your password in a hashed format, and you'll capture it. And when you, when you leave this stuff running in an automated Python script, it's not difficult. When I talk to a lot of system admins about this, they think it's going to be um, setting this up. It's going to require some master hacker sat there doing yeah. amazing stuff. It's not. It's a Python script that you can leave running on any machine and and how many networks you go into where they've installed python on everything uh, uh you know because, yeah. because it's needed or it has to be on everything the remote desktop server the actual might, might as well leave it on the domain controller because why not yeah uh, and it's there you can run this and you can capture with probably uh two or three minutes access to the network you'd be in, in if it's on and it's misconfigured and there can be stuff that's misconfigured that's legacy you can get access to probably about 50 hashes in about two or three minutes Windows way of handling DHCP uh, when it sends out when a machine wants an IP and it will listen for a request to set the proxy server at the same time. So you can just spam the network with, hi, I'm your proxy server. I'm actually a laptop that's sat in some dodgy area or in the car park, authenticate against me or a hijacked machine. And you can capture at that point hundreds of hashes. And all it takes is for one of them to be the domain admin. You've not turned on SMB sign in. Or your password, usually, when we get this, is quite weak and cryptographically breakable with a dictionary attack. And I've gone into context where I've done this with their permission when they've asked about looking at cybersecurity, not within our trust elsewhere where they've asked voluntarily, and literally become a domain admin within about four minutes. Like these these attacks aren't hard. Uh, you could I could quite easily teach people how to do it within two or three hours. So it's so, not a surprise the schools are getting hit because who's it, training people to deal yeah. with this? So, so now we've just scared everybody, um, and uh, probably for some some listeners who aren't uh, technically in depth to to know, understand that we're, we're we're effectively saying that uh, it's very very easy to get usernames and passwords on the network. Uh, you know the basic way that the systems were built. They're several years old now. And if you combine that in schools with a massive lack of funding and so legacy devices left, right and centre, 
you've got a recipe for disaster. Um, and, you know, even today, uh, I, I communicated with the school with no backup, no, no working backup. And I think, you know, that scares me. It really, really scares me because it scares the staff to think that they could lose everything. Some people just think that that's never going to happen to them. Uh, they're too small. Why would anybody care? So the fact is that the people doing these attacks don't care about your size. You've got a bank account with money in it uh, or you've got data that they can use to sell and get money in their bank account because of it. So that, you know, they really don't care that about the size of these schools and there's the, the risk is huge. But I think it's also important to point out that with with um, the right people and the right tools, these things can be secured and risks can be lowered. But it takes knowing the fact that there's risks to then know that you've, what you've got to do to mitigate those risks. And that's got to be communicated easier, simpler to schools and also for them to be able to access help quite quickly. So it's interesting to hear you saying that, you know, you've done you've done these these white hat hacking so that, you know, the, the good type of hacking and um, to to get these information so schools can understand the risks. Um, in your experience, are schools now more requesting that, more open to that? Are they more aware of risks from what they've been in the past? Yeah, I think there's a lot of demand for expertise. I think since the massive cyber attacks that schools faced in in the particularly the third national lockdown, yeah, uh, when it really took off with with quite organised gangs targeting targeting schools, it became a lot more of a priority. And and I think you're right. It's it's that sort of why am I a target? And it's actually it's actually the you've got to get senior leaders to understand the structure of these organizations, because I think it's sometimes people have turned around to me and gone, well, who's going to target us? You know, like, you know, we're, yeah. we're five or six schools. Like, and I have had people say that thankfully no one in a leadership position, but people have said it like, why are we focusing on cyber? It's like, we're, we're no one. These gangs don't operate as like one lone hacker trying to take down your system. No. It's there's people at the bottom rings who are literally harvesting credentials and passwords fishing for them and then selling them up the chain to somebody who will buy them in bulk for maybe you know a thousand pounds and then trying to see if eight or nine of them give them remote desktop access and let them go further and then once they've established that there's a remote desktop access there who the person is what can be found they'll sell it up to a bigger fish who will say you know here have the remote desktop credentials of X import, you know, Andrew Walls, he leads IT, he's probably got admin access to something and then sell it up. And that's how they operate. So you can actually end up getting sucked into a funnel where you you, you get ransomware because someone at the bottom has happened to find your credentials and they've got all sorts of tricks to do in it. Phishing's the classic one. Uh, you know, I've even heard of people walking past buildings with, uh, rogue uh, twin evil twin wi-fi access points so essentially fake wireless access points that pretend to be that organization's wireless but actually just skim credentials when people fail to log into them so if someone sat there on the laptop they lose connectivity it connects to this guy outside he gets the password hash he brute forces and gets it into plain text sells it like it's it's a criminal enterprise where you can get sucked into a funnel without even realizing it where the organization probably is that who's attacking you probably barely knows your name you just being unlucky yeah. to, to get through it and when you explain that to senior leaders the threat becomes more real when you show them other schools that have been done and have gotten through this you think where is it and yeah the no backup one is just an absolute no-brainer because i'd never i would never turn around and say my institution is 100 hack proof because no one can say that yeah. and if you're not 
banking on the right insurance of a backup solution and call backups of some kind. So you've got that plan through. But it links back to the thing we were saying at the beginning. That all relies on a strategy and a post holder who is sat there thinking, this might happen one day, probably won't. Realistically, the vast majority of people don't get ransomware attacked, but it could happen. What should I put in place and what should I plan for it? And if you don't have that strategy, it all comes back, doesn't it? It comes back to people. Well, yeah, absolutely. And I think putting a strategy in place is really important. Perhaps we can delve into that in in a minute or two. I've just got a couple of things to to pick up from there. And we're talking about the, the backups. And I think the first thing there is people need to know what they're backing up and what they're not backing up. And one of the things that I'm finding a lot at the moment is that they're moving to the cloud and they're expecting that to be their backup. And I think we both are aware that uh, Microsoft and Google don't back up your data. Now they make it available and they've got multiple things in place. But if they did lose the data, you know, and these things can happen with the global events and, uh, you know, in, in, and weather and, and, and you know, stuff like that, um, then, you know, they, they don't, you don't have any comeback on them for your data. And I think also, the um so so it's, it's making sure you know backing up backing up all that and there are ways to do that to third parties as well but knowing what they're backing up and realizing that it's not just the on-site stuff you know and all these other third party systems that they're using asking about the backup policies for them and then you also was talking around um you know these indiscriminate hackings and one of the things that the ncse stuff points out is that it could be rogue staff or students now, given the increase in knowledge out there on the web for uh, teenagers to perhaps under start understanding things and trying things that, as you said, are not necessarily that difficult, the risks have never been higher, have they? I mean, uh, you can pay a five quid and go and get a school, um, you know, a DDoS attack um, over at a school, and I've, I've heard that happen to schools where they've they've paid for their schools to be targeted, so they 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 get, they get DDoSed, um, and uh, it's one way of getting out of doing something, I guess. Um, and, and you know, it's not just as simple as uh, as what it perhaps used to be, and um, now it's it's quite severe um, what people can do if they want to. There was a story in the news the other day. I don't know if you saw it via the BBC about an IT person who got the sack and uh, went on and wiped the schools, and I've I've had personal experience of something similar and having to investigate it or somebody left um in a, in a bit of a huff and they uh, they did some naughty things um but that is a real real risk yeah i mean it comes down to one of the, i mean when you audit a, a school when they ask and they are increasingly asking for, for cyber help you go in and you run a tool like uh like Bloodhound that, that scans your AD credentials and looks at what permissions there, it creates a copy of your, your network environment. And the amount of unused open domain admin accounts yeah. never ceases to amaze me. And you're right, it's that auditing. Like you, you, your fundamental 101 security is you can't protect what you don't know. And, yes. and you just can't, if you don't know what you have or what you're backing up or what devices you've got on site, and I'm not talking about every single device having an asset sticker and knowing precisely where it is, because I think, you know, our, our environment has a lot of BYOD and, and we're never going to do that. But we know we've got BYOD and we know we can risk mitigate BYOD. Yeah. We're not yeah. just letting everybody connect because the Wi-Fi password leaked because, I don't know, Janet in the canteens wrote it down on something and now every kid's got it, you know. It's like it's all done through through you've got to have procedures and systems and 
and know what you're protecting. And yeah, I mean, you put everything into the cloud. And, you know, the great thing about these cloud services is, that, you know, they'll typically retain your data for 60 days. But if you're not actually looking and seeing, right, who's trashed what from any key drives, and we put our key documents in this drive where we can monitor and check everything's there, and we we know that we can always, and if the file's there, you can restore it to any moment in time. If it's being trashed, it should set up an email alert so someone can say yeah. it's being trashed and restore it. Because, you know, realistically, that's one way to hit an organization quite quite subtly is to back up the data, trash it, not restore it, and then go, oh, sorry, you know, now if you want your data back, you're going to have to pay us. Um, but of course, it, yeah. even use, user error there as well. Teachers mm. doing, and this is, I say it's unique to education. I think maybe all areas of professional life have things that you only do once a year. And so you might only teach a topic once a year. You might only um, access a file one once a year. So these 60 days in Google or 90 days or however long the retention periods of the are in, in either of them are actually pretty useless because if, if it's going to be a year before you check it, it doesn't matter whether it was 60 days or 90 days, it's gone. And the chances of getting it back are even more. And it, of course, then keeping the, that stuff um securely backed up and then trying to fit it in with the gdpr schedule of retention and stuff like that is is really really tough as well yeah it's 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 always it's always going to be but it comes back to common sense doesn't it i think a lot of this stuff as long as you've you've thought about what the situations could be what the worst case scenario is and you've mitigated for that you're not going to get hit and even if you do get hit you'll have a route and a plan like out a plan of it place, yeah and yeah. and that's so often what schools don't do because it's you know it's it's nice for us even our small sites you know they, they have access to a massive data center so you know our on-prem stuff is, is in that massive data center and, and it's there and it's backed up it's triple backed up but then you walk into some sites and you know i i had uh, a new site that we, we were just taking on really it's just about to join our mat and you go in and it's like there's no there's no backup there's you know they say there's a backup but there isn't really a backup yeah it's like oh it's backing up you know some file server that's no one's used for 10 years everything yeah. <laughs> is is all over the shop there aren't proper shares there isn't a proper procedure people are literally storing stuff on usbs and, and i go in either heart attack and stuff hasn't been patched for years yeah and and that's the reality and one, one of the file servers just looked like an old computer that was half sellotape to the back of a desk you know and that's and that's the reality for, for a lot of uk yes. education but there aren't standards set for this stuff i mean there are if you if you go to professional bodies and if you do professional certifications and if you look how to do things properly but if you've bought into, you know, half a day's support from someone and you haven't actually got a full professional managed service behind it, but you might have someone who comes, you know, has a look, checks everything's okay, and then goes and doesn't, yeah. you know, say... And they do exist. They do. I've yeah. dealt with them and 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 seen them. And, and they, they, you know, there's good, it's like everything, isn't there? There's good IT departments, there's bad IT departments, there's good managed service providers, there's bad managed service providers. Absolutely. And if you're not investing in, again, the strategy and the things like that, you're going to end up with solutions like that. And, you know, people won't notice as long as it, it seems to perform. And it's at least not even reliable. It just seems to tick over now and again until it reaches a crisis point. And then these places are absolutely stuffed. They don't have a get out of jail free card where someone can turn around and go, you know, I'm sorry that, you know, Cobra gang have cybered or uh, cryptoed all your files. But thankfully, we have a backup in this data center out in out in America that we, we kept for this scenario. And we're going to restore your files within 24 hours. Don't worry about it. Just manage for a day. Cool. Uh, and it, it comes down to that level of 
again, everything, everything ties back to strategy and everything ties back to IT having a voice to, to air this at a leadership level, I think. Yeah. And do you know what, actually, surprisingly, I don't know about surprisingly, you know, that's, I haven't moved to corporate for the first time in January. So I've, I've never left school before then. So now I'm in a corporate environment and having to be being held accountable for our performance on these, on these issues. You know, if, if there's not a backup and that, that is us, it's, it's not you're not a team member then you're you're an external company that has let somebody down if you don't have that backup so it's 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 a very interesting change although i had it a bit with laws it obviously with the external schools it's it's more so now with concero and I, and i think some of the issues that we have is is still to um convince um and it, uh, schools that it's it's a real threat but it's it is links back to what we were talking about earlier on about um support and Having been somebody who worked in education, uh, I was, I remember my first boss and I used to take the mick out of managed service providers. And we used to say, you know, they're coming for our jobs. Um, they won't, you know, they they won't go and do X, Y, Z. We, I think we did a disco once and I was like, oh, you never get a managed service provider doing a disco. Um, and there's, there is that general feel from those staff in schools still that MSP is a dirty word and that support is is dirty. But I'm really seeing that actually a lot of the younger people coming into those who have come up through the systems now really value that help of a provider that's got a ton of resources behind them, a ton of access and and most importantly, experience behind them to support them. So it it links back to what I was saying to Beth yesterday as well. Um, The support on site, that face to face support is imperative, it's never going away, but actually we need to come together and be really strong against these risks for schools as a community and as a group of of companies or whatever you know the people on site and external actually it's a group effort to come together and protect our schools ultimately it's our money (laughs) that's a risk you know as taxpayers it's our money that's a risk if these schools get hit and our young people our children i've got kids i don't know about yourself but i've got kids who you know really um could be affected by this and I and I really think we need to work together to take it more seriously and share our expertise and good practice across the whole place yeah and and I think it's often a shame that there isn't that kind of forum in education or at least not that standardized forum because you know we have professional bodies we do we, we do but they're not really probably codified enough to 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 focus on this one i think nace is a very strong one i think in terms yes. of looking at, at, at it and standards in school and their reflective frameworks are very good to say does your school do this uh but you know essentially our our community comes together depressingly i think sometimes is a bet and that's yes. that's kind of like the hub of it where you're essentially just walking around a graveyard of products that you probably ditched or tried and thought weren't very good over yeah. the years half of them you, you're still using because they are good and they've worked very well for you and then the rest of the time you end up getting flogged stuff from before but the actual talks that are given at bet are often not at the level of it directors or strategic directors or network managers or, yeah. or even anybody who deals with the techie side of stuff day in day out they're often designed to either convince senior leaders that something is a threat that they should care about when let's be honest i know what it's like as a senior leader you're, you're spinning plates a lot of the time you've got different things on so you know it's to get that kind of thing seen and it's also uh to give kind of surface level commercial talks about products and services that are there it's and, not, and 
yeah. a techie friendly event is it really it's good for me to as you say it's good for me and colleagues but we've been going for the last few years and um seeing through some of the stuff i'm like okay well i wouldn't have perhaps put it like that you know but then i'm not trying to sell your product so exactly and that's and, that, and that's kind of the problem we need the forum where you can learn this stuff and and what's worked for me and what i found very useful and informative is saying do you know what i think it is time that i i upskill i think when i was looking at the cyber threat i i'm i knew the surface level stuff i've done a, you know a couple of you know udemy courses but like that was it and actually saying do you know what i want i want to study this and get into it and the degree apprenticeship funds that the government offer in in it are, are really good you can use your apprenticeship levy to use it i mean we every member of our team has actually come up through the apprenticeship route and i know we were saying earlier oh, you know but you've you, well yeah it, it, I, I, it's one thing i'm really proud of is that is that that is the team and they've worked their way up that way and it's not because we've used apprentices using abuse and like cheap labor we haven't we've i don't think there's ever been an apprentice that we haven't offered offered a job to uh at the end of it an apprenticeship is is a time to learn yes you know it's not yes. the best paid time but you know if you treat if you treat them like a frontline technician that's not the job if you yeah. treat them like you're there to learn but you should be doing some frontline stuff to learn it and you should be getting that hands-on experience and you ease them into it and you and you treat them well and you do that and they want to stay brilliant and then they can upskill and the apprenticeship levy we in it we, we i would say we use and abuse it because if no one else is going to use the money we might all. well yeah and, and that was why I was just, when I saw degree apprenticeships launched and launched at a master's level in specialised fields, it was like, yeah, that makes complete sense. Well, Upskilling cyber, do a few certs. Yeah, I, I, the directors of Concero have, uh, you know, have, have gone through that route. You know, they, they've they've gone and got to, um, an MA and whatever through that route. And then, you know, we, we've got apprenticeships as well. And for me, and those who follow me on social media will know that I, I, have, I quite often come up with this and talk about, um, the fact that apprentices are not cheap labour, they're not a replacement for a first line, second line technician, they're not your IT support, they are people who are learning a trade and to learn a trade, especially in IT where there is no answer book, and so I tell everybody who starts with me, if there was an answer book there wouldn't be IT support, um, but what they need to pick up is experience and they, they need to see how other people work and pass on that knowledge and learn from what they're doing, so therefore uh, they're, they're fantastic but they have to be supported. They, those people have to be looked after. And also the courses have to be relevant. Uh, unfortunately, in my experience, I mean, I've never done one, um, but I have mentored many people that are on them. Um, some of them just don't keep up with this, with the speed of what we're doing uh, in the schools, particularly over the last two years. Um, and that's a real shame, but there are there are some really good ones. And I think, you know, those people who do them in, you know, and have them as a bolt on, and are given the time to study and self-learn and develop themselves as part of that course are the people who get the most out of them. Oh yeah, definitely. And it has to be seen as a priority. Yeah. And then it can't be the end of the journey is doing your level three networking. Like that's that cannot be the end of it. You know, you can upskill professionally in your day-to-day -day experience, you start to pick stuff up, but there are so many things that are rocking think are rocking IT right now. Uh, you know, Kubernetes is big, cloud virtualization is big starting to look at getting your on-prem stuff virtualized do you go for software as a service infrastructure as a service these are not things that people who've just done you know the level three and god right i don't want to professionally develop can make the decisions on and yeah. you know i'm not i'm not at all professionally to be any expert on kubernetes but there's and 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 these sort of things but you know it, it's if you're not reading up on it if you're not looking at what's out there 
and you're not looking at how it's changing, then you're going to be stuck like a lot of these schools we looked at in a vulnerable position quite quite quickly so you know we yep. might laugh now at the fact that there's some noddy you know hp 5 800 sat in a cupboard that's actually the file server for some you know one form primary school and going isn't that mad it's not backed up it's going to be a disaster uh but actually that could quite easily in five or ten years time be what people say about you know nice looking data centers at multi-academy trust level and and you've got to keep looking at it and you've got to do it because suddenly as soon as it becomes easier for everything to be virtualized in azure and it's getting near that point we're very yeah. close to that point like as 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 i it general. yeah i think we, i, I we, definitely we did think it we yeah but we, i think we did if, it with yeah, the week yeah no i think we are there but i mean in terms of in terms of everybody seeing that as the default, then oh, suddenly yeah, yeah. You, you're on-prem servers. Who's going to support them? Who's going to turn around and say, oh, okay, we support you know Windows Server 2022 on-prem. Actually, you're not going to bother with it because you're just going to tell people, Microsoft will shove people to Azure. So if you're not staying up to date, then you'll find that your system doesn't have the protections because who commercially is going to produce a backup system for it? Who's going to do that? And, and if you're not always looking forward and training yourself on what's out there, and how you do, I mean, cloud virtualization is a very difficult topic, very difficult. Yeah. Because you you get five cloud architects in the room, they all have five different ways of doing it. Yes. Um, and five different, oh, why, why are you bothering virtualizing that as a, as a full VM? We want to have this as a, as a, you know, a container running inside, inside this, and you want to rent this software as a service so it works properly. And, and you know, you know, this stuff is so hot right now and so contested and so debated in what's the best practice and what isn't and the literature just doesn't agree uh, and that's exciting isn't it and i think if we don't if you don't move with it you're going to be going to be stuck it's interesting that when i spoke with sam the uh, the other week on the on the first podcast episode and he's from microsoft i don't know if you had a chance to listen but he was talking around how when they had the earthquakes in new zealand and they were using um in tune and such like and it was such a new technology and i'd still class it as a new technology and there's so many different ways of doing the same thing at the moment um sometimes from different providers um and sometimes certainly in the case of microsoft the, the, from the same provider there's so many ways of doing the same thing as well because they still don't know all the answers they don't, still don't know all the user cases and they still don't know what works best so yeah, it's it's you know you can have these people saying, oh, I don't you do this, and I don't, I wouldn't touch that, and then you go to somebody else and say, well, have you thought about doing it this way? And it's exactly the same way that the person before you just told you not to do it, um, and they all have their different reasons and experiences. But I don't think we're there in a lot of cases for you know the the best in practice ways of doing things. So that, that I don't think they've been established yet. And in a way, as you said, it's why it's so exciting, but also so confusing for schools. And one of the things that I always have done, um, moving loads of schools to the cloud and whatever, is once once it's working at one place, you know, you take what works, you improve it step by step, of course you do. And you 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 hone it in and you get it better and better. But then I have to kind of block out people who come to me and say, like six months later, oh, you should do it like this. And I'm like, well, that, that didn't exist six months ago. And actually, we have to manage change in these schools. And so once we've got something in place that's working and secure, I'm not 100% not a person that thinks you should just stay doing something because you've always done it that way. But because of the speed of things are moving now, Actually, stability is something that you have to, and change management is something that you have to factor into everything that you do. I mean, from an end user, they can see new features coming monthly in Google and Office 365, and that's 
that's kind of worthwhile. But you've got to bear in mind, some people are still using Office 2016 on the classroom and that, you know, and, and that hasn't been updated for a long, long time. And now they're in something that are updating weekly with new features. Um, there's a lot to be saying for, uh, with everything that staff else have got on is find a solution that works and not rocking the boat too much at the moment even when there's temptation because things that are better all are coming out straight away all the time you know you literally do it one way and then you're like ah oh, i see they've just tweeted the way that makes everything that's to spend three weeks doing a hell of a lot easier yeah it's so common isn't it i mean you can i mean it's why you gotta have your roadmaps haven't you you got your roadmaps where you yeah. want to go you know where it's going to happen you know things will slot into place and new things will come along it's why if you try i think i mean i don't know i think the sweet spot's about three years i think for planning yeah. ahead and I think even that's sometimes a bit generous. You can say, right, by the end of those three years, I want that virtualized there. I want that running on infrastructure as a service. I want that done, but that's it. Not overkilling yeah. it. Then we can look what's out there. And if it's not an immediate organized, again, it comes back to what you said before, if it's not an organizational priority, shelve it for now, see what's out there in three years' time or whether it is. And then you can kind of look ahead, but you're not going down the route of just that that completely agile, constant refresh and refresh and refresh. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the point you made about Office is interesting. I remember people kicking off when there was an unannounced upgrade when my very first go when I was training to teach to Office 2013. And it was like, this yeah. is ridiculous. We've not had, where's our Office 2013 training? And now it's like, people do look at those incremental changes in Google Drive that just happen every day. And they're like, oh, that's a that's whole good. new button now. Yeah, all yeah. right. Yeah, and, and, and people, I think, are a lot more used to it. But it's the culture, isn't it? You know, what app do you start every day? where the interface is exactly the same one day to the next. You know, you start Twitter and it's like, oh, right, everything's white in boxes now. Yeah. All right. And you just kind of shrug it and go, oh, I'm not sure if I like that but or it, not. And get on. Yeah, there, there is that thing that they're used to that kind of ecosystem from their phones and tablets and stuff like that. You know, they're so used to things updating now with a little control. And I always actually come back to that when when people raise, you know, like about changing the software where you're going. I'm like, so are you telling me they don't install the latest updates on their iPhone or their Android devices that change it? You know, that's that's the world that we live in. Um, so to, to finish off, Andrew, there's two questions that I've been asking guests, and I guess I'm going to make them a feature going forward just because it uh, helps me out. So there's two questions. Which is your favourite piece of technology in a classroom? And then which piece of technology or software do you wish was never in existence and shouldn't have ever been released into the wild? So we'll, we'll go with your favourite to start off with. What is the favourite thing that you've used in an ed tech uh, capacity? Or uh, Beth yesterday talked about a uh, uh, ring doorbell um, or similar, you know, and it, it caught her on that. So it, we can widen it a little bit to stuff in the home. Oh, I don't know. Technology is a difficult one. I feel like an absolute traitor. I don't say Chromebook uh, for, for that. <laughs> I'll, 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 I think the entire Google crowd won't be happy. But no, I think, I think for me, I'd, I'd start with the Chromebook. And the reason I'd say that is, is when I was training to teach, uh, my first uh, TLR was in a new building. We'd had tons of new technology. Well, it was supposedly new technology, super high tech building. And it was done by a, a managed service provider, uh, not yourself, definitely not. <laughs> so I'm not sure, <laughs> but one of the biggies, uh, you probably yeah. recognise the name of that. Don't really care. And it was dreadful, you know, Wi-Fi drops, things like that. The Windows domain was unstable as anything, and and there wasn't the support from them, and they tied the IT team into a mess. And I was trying to get technology going, and and in that use case, the Chromebook was was the perfect device because you could just slot it in, just work as long as it had an internet connection, stable Wi-Fi. It was the quickest, nicest, nicest thing going. And when 90% of your infrastructure is in the web, uh, it does the job, I think. If it's in the web and, and that's where you're doing it, that will that will work. And, and, and we could build something nice off that. So I'll go with that as my favourite. What I'd rip out, 
I'll probably be a bit controversial with this one. I'd say interactive whiteboards. I still... Uh, you can't say that because I said that in, in the first episode. Yes, so... you did. Yeah, oh, but yeah. I'm, I'm still going with it. I still don't oh, yeah. see the point. I, I don't yeah, think yeah. it's moved on. This is this is the crusade. I think David Blunkett heard about him as education secretary and went, they're a good thing, yes. let's get him everywhere. Uh, and, and they've always really, really done my head in. Uh, because I still do not understand what the purpose is. If you've got a big screen or something to write onto the side of it, there's so many more cool things you can do. You know, you can use uh, Jamboard to like project onto the screen and draw on it. You can do all sorts of things uh, without the need for a big interactive display that have the same functionality. And when you get beyond the interactive whiteboard and you turn the projector off and you're using things like Neopod to project to kids' screens and interact back and forward, then you can you can build different learning experiences. And a lot of the new technology is coming out now. I mean, we've, we've just started experimenting with the Merlin Mind, which I guess is kind of like trying to kill the interactive whiteboard through stealth, which is essentially an artificial intelligence client that plugs into the front screen, a bit like a big Alexa or a big Google Home with a screen, and allows you to talk and project things. And, you know, hey, Alexa, show my, you know, not hey, Alexa, probably set off everybody's phone now. I've never hey, yeah, yeah. have to bleep that out. Uh, but, you know, you say, hey, Merlin, display my slides, go to slide five, play it, and, you know, find me a picture of this. And it's just, there's so many nicer things and ways to do it. So, yeah, I think everybody, if everybody says interactive whiteboard here, and you can, can, you can end the show with interactive whiteboard bashing. Yeah, yeah, we can start a crusade. I, I'm going to, um, you know, surprise those people who follow me again on social media and just say that I'm actually in agreement around the Chromebooks. I think whilst there are, Microsoft have now started to catch up or caught up, you know, with Intune and, and affordable devices, you know, they wouldn't be there if it wasn't for the Chromebooks leading the way. Um, and those devices really rescued education, I think, out of a whole of cheap, crappy netbooks and into actual user devices that were had software designed for the level of hardware that was there. So, they were, you know, you didn't have to run full fat on them. And they have got that interlinking with the cloud. And I've got a lot of respect for the devices and um, and uh, the, the software on them. Um, and I, but I, you know, so I think that's a, that's a, a really good one to have. And in terms of the the notebook notebooks, um, sorry, the interactive whiteboards. I was thinking of a smart notebook which goes onto them. I'm going to throw in the software that comes with interactive whiteboards into that category of things that I hate, um, because people that are tied into a piece of software that's, um, you know, a smart notebook 11.4 because they can't afford the latest versions because they've turned up the, the stuff it's the bane of my life as a support person and I ha it's really not nice having to tell a teacher that actually you're gonna have to convert everything and then you get the inevitable can you do it for me and you're looking at 20 years worth of smart notebook work that you then have to go and convert for them into something else and then you then they start using a new tool which is powerpoint normally or something along those lines you know the basics that that's been around all that time and they start using it and they're like well actually this is better than what i thought Oh yeah, PowerPoint's actually quite good now. I'm just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> You've got to trade staff, haven't you? That's it. If yeah, you do yeah. not have training sessions for well, staff. Well, that's the answer to it all, isn't it? Training the staff. Yeah, that is completely. giving the time, training them. Right, on that note, it's been great to have you uh, with me this evening, Andrew. I really, really do appreciate it. Um, if you want to get to know Andrew a bit more, you can follow him. He's on Twitter at the Ed tech school um he's also got a website edtechschool.com and you can find andrew walls on linkedin as well um so thanks for spending the time with us this evening um andrew it's been great to catch up with you and put a voice and a and a face to those conversations that we quite happen 
quite often have online and i look forward to those interactions carrying on and thank you for spending the time and coming on board thanks for having me matt podcast this week i hope you've enjoyed it just a reminder that you can reach out and connect with me on various different platforms you can follow me on twitter at msetchel you can find me on linkedin or you can visit my website www.mattian.co.uk that's m-a-t-t-i-a-n.co.uk where i'd be happy to hear from you thanks for listening see you next time